Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff in the last couple of chapters of 2 Samuel. And in this book where we've watched David come to power as a king of Israel around 1000 BC, the second king after Saul had perished in battle and at the hand of the Lord. And we've seen David go from being that young man in 1 Samuel to being king of Judah for seven years and the unified kingdom of Israel and Judah for 33 years. So he was a king for 40 years. He will pass away in first kings when we get to first kings right around the corner we'll see him really in his elderly just final chapter of life but here in second samuel we're getting his life kind of wrapped up like it's it's wrapping up and that's the way the book ends here and so we've seen all the things from his life the 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 highlights of like taking out goliath and not throwing the spear back at King Saul when he attacked him that way and just so many good things. But we've seen the lowlights too, the difficult things of his life. The sin with Bathsheba, uh, Uriah. We've seen the heartache that his children caused him, the things that happened with his children as a chastening from the Lord. We've seen even in chapter 24 after this where he takes the census and that was not a good thing. We see him having sin in the latter part of his life with pride. But tonight as we come to chapter 23... We get this interesting phrase, and we get these six, seven verses here. I want to we'll read we'll read these first few verses of chapter twenty three and focus on just a couple of them. But I want to give the context because it's one complete thought, and I'd like to do that. So we read in chapter twenty three of Second Samuel. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God, the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he's made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Well, in Psalm 1, David drew some comparisons to the godly man or the godly woman, and the wicked are not so. And as you look at David's life, there, of course, is a contrast of people of faith, people seeking to do the right things, versus people of unbelief and not doing the right things. We've seen that in First and Second Samuel. Even with those who professed to serve the Lord, like King Saul did before him, he could talk about the Lord, but didn't really have the walk to back up his talk. So this is his last words, so, so not, like, not like his deathbed last words, but sort of like his retirement party kind of last words, like this is what I've got to say and this I want to share with all of you. And so he gives us these five verses 
that are really uh, edifying and encouraging about just God's work upon his life. They're very positive. It's, it's nice that at this point in his life when he's reflecting, he has a positive framing of how he saw his life with the Lord, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then those last couple of verses, just the reality that he lived his life in the midst of an evil time, which all human beings do. And I take comfort in that because I don't really like verses six and seven. I don't like him in his generation. I don't like him in mine. And I don't suppose you do either. But the reality is what really matters is who we are in the the previous verses of one through five that he shared. And specifically, I want to talk about verses one and two in this final statement where he said, these are the last words of David. That just has to get our attention. Again, like these are the last words. Now we have the last words of Moses. We have the pretty much the last words of Jesus. We have with the Great Commission. We have the last words of Joshua. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You, you get this. We have the last words of Jacob in the book of Genesis. And when you see the last words of, of a godly man or a godly woman, they, 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 they want our attention. Because yet again, we're reminded, and the Bible reminds us that eternity is always right around the corner, and they remind us that we will have our last words. So for younger people, you're probably not that familiar with having your last words or hearing someone share their last words, but with older people here, you'd be familiar with last words. Maybe you heard your parents' last words before they, while they're still cognizant, before they maybe faded under medication because they're in great pain you maybe heard their last words or maybe it's a slow fade where they maybe it's dementia and stuff like that so the last words are kind of scrambled they're not quite as um you know they just don't you 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 can frame it very positive with the good but it's it's not the same and you have to believe here david is still very sharp and cognizant in his thought process for his last words. And again, he lived to be 70. And so that gets our attention. So these are his last words, this man who had a heart after God. And we're told that's a major feature of his life, right? Like we really admire David because we're told he had the heart after God. And we know that God loved him and chose him to be king because he had a heart after God. So we saw that at the beginning of his journey, when Samuel came to his house and anointed him as a teenager. And here he is at the end of his journey, where he's speaking these things, looking back, When you graduate high school, you might look back. When you graduate college, you might look back. When you've had a career at a job for a long time and you're retiring, you might look back. Or if you're moving on and you chose to move on, you might look back. I went to Greg McEwen's retirement party with the fire department a couple of years ago. It was quite an extravagant event, and it was really neat to see. And it was the completion, though, of what he had been as a a fire chief and all these different things. It was super impressive. They had the bagpipes and all that kind of stuff. And it was... And reflected on his career as a fireman for 25 years. So I want to draw on those things for our life because ultimately we're going to look back on our life. Ultimately, it's not going to be retiring from the fire department. It's not going to be graduating from college or high school or being recognized for these achievements or moving onward and upward in the business field or packing up your box from your cubicle and going on to semi-retirement at leisure world. Ultimately, there are final words that our hearts could speak when we've come to the end of our journey in a general sense. Not, this isn't deathbed. This is more like, you know, well, it's like me when I travel on an international flight. I'm notorious for arriving like four or five hours early. If I'm flying out of Heathrow, I like to be there like five, six hours early. I just like to see everybody. The whole world goes through Heathrow, right? 
And so, it, to me, it's, it's all a process, and I'll sit there, and Heathrow has the old, th- the old things like you see in the movies where the cities are changed, like Istanbul, uh, Cairo, and, and they're rotating and changing, so as planes take off, they're, up th- they're upgrading, and they're going up the charts with the departure time. And if you're four or five hours early, your flight's not on there yet, or maybe it's way down here on the right side, but as you're sitting there in the terminal, and day goes on, you get lunch, and then you get the coffee shop, you're starting to move up, and they tell you what part of the terminal to go to. That's what this is like. He's not on his flight yet, but he's at the airport, and his flight's coming up. Now, when we get older, we can sense, like, okay, our time is coming up. Pastor Chuck teaching on David's end in 1 Kings chapters 1 through 4. I listened to it this week. He talked about David being very elderly and somewhat invalid. And we all see different endings. So we don't know, like, if, if we make it to the 90s, if we're super cognizant, where we can still be like this at 90, or maybe we're like this at 65, and we step into eternity at 67, like a couple of good friends of mine have in the last year. Whatever the case is, we're all going, and somewhere is our flight, and it's just moving up, and then it moves over to the left side, and just sooner or later, it's like, whether you want to go or not, that's your flight, and you're headed for the, the gate, and you're going through the security, British style, UK style, and that's just the way it is. So with that in mind, in all the different seasons that we have, because this is the final flight, right? Like, this is like, you're the king of Judah, now you're the king of Israel. It's not that kind of flight. Like, this is like, you're going to be with the king. And that's the context. So I've been thinking about this for all of us, as we even have a couple of people, saints from this church, step into eternity this year, where I was very intimately involved in those final moments of their life, final seasons of their life. So it's strong in my heart. We also had a couple people that we thought might go to eternity that somehow, by God's mercy, he spared them. They didn't. That says David, the son of Jesse. This is a commonality for all of us. This isn't really a point, but this is important to come to the church and thinking about the body of Christ and followers of Christ. The son of Jesse. We, this is, the commonality of the human experience is we all have a family. We all come into a family. Someone birthed us, even if we're raised in an orphanage or foster care or whatever, we had people that raised us. We have an upbringing. We have a time when we came into the world, like Paul said to the Athenians, that God predetermined our times and seasons, our ethnicities, our gender, and all that stuff. We come into the world, and we have no choice in that. We have our timelines. So David's the son of Jesse. He, he had no choice in being the last son, the eighth son of the house of Jesse. His, his brothers looked like they would be great kings. His first three brothers, dad thought they'd be great kings. But in the end, it was... David, doing the lowly chores, it was one who was anointed by Samuel when he had come to his house that time, at that time, to anoint him to be king. You can't help it if you're a middle child. You can't help it if you're the firstborn or the only child or the baby of the family or just one of ten kids like the Sweeten kids who I mentioned a service ago. Just ten kids like, wow, they just keep coming like a baseball team. You know, they just, and, they, and they all play baseball, so it's perfect, Right? But the distinction for us is not who we are in Adam or in Eve. In other words, we're born once, right? The Bible tells us we're, we're born once and it's appointed to men to die once. So we come to the world with no choice. You know, my dad's from Madison, Wisconsin. My mom's from Cleveland, Ohio. My, my dad's liberal Protestant. My, dad's devout, my mom's devout Catholic and they're Midwest, have a lot in common, both military family backgrounds and stuff. And there we go. And I'm the middle child in the 60s. But the distinction for me and for all of you with your family upbringing is not so much that you're David, your name, the son of so-and-so, but it's what comes after that. Because in Adam, all sin and die, but in the second Adam, all are made alive. 
And if anyone be in Christ is a new creation, old things have passed away, all things are new. And Jesus said, unless we're born again, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And we're not going back into our mother's womb to be born again. We're being born of the Spirit. And David, for the Old Testament, had a lot of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, for the New Testament believer, we receive Christ. We're born of the Spirit. Spirit's in us. Spirit's with us. We'll get to that in a moment. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people, but not everybody. Not everybody. But David is just, so much of David is the Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that. When he has a Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Peter preached in the day of Pentecost, and he spoke, the Lord spoke by his Spirit to his prophet David, that, you know, I'll not keep thy, the, thy body in the grave in, the, in Sheol. So the key with David is the key for all of us tonight. The man raised up on high. He had, he had faith. He had the shadow of things to come for the church, which is the faith we have in Jesus Christ. He had faith. And most of you here tonight, I know, so I know that you have a confession of faith in Jesus like me. We're told in that universal gospel, John, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, not born of flesh, not born of blood, like by Phil Brand from, and Diane Ottman, like my family. I was born that way, but born of God by the Holy Spirit when I really responded to the gospel in spring of 87 with the verse, it is finished on the cross. That's how I knew I saved that verse. Suddenly I saw it all and it all made sense. I believed before that, but it wasn't really, the Spirit came at that time. So presuming we've had that flashpoint with the Spirit, the moment we're born again, the moment, the moment we give our life to Christ, we pass from that earthly family, David the son of Jesse, to the heavenly family, to the church. He says this progressive order really is what our life is meant to be like in the church age for followers of Christ. And at the end of his life, he's speaking these things, and these are the things I want to be speaking at the end of my life. These are the things you want to be speaking at the end of your life. So again, the context is, this is his life. You older people remember, there used to be the TV show, This Is Your Life. And they'd honor someone famous, and they'd bring out their kindergarten teacher, their junior high baseball coach, and, you know, the professor that helped them get their degree for this. Like, they would do that. That's, that was a famous TV show back in the day, for those of you like 16 above. The man God raised on high. The, the moment we give our life to Christ. See, with David, you go, oh, it's so special. He's the king, the man after God's own heart. But the beauty of Christ dying on the cross, rising from the grave, ascending to the right hand of the Father, and sending the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is what worked for David works even more so for every one of us who call on the Lord Jesus Christ. For Peter himself said, as many call upon the Lord shall be saved. So all the things that David had in this profound level with the Lord is a shadow. So he's looking back at his life. It's a shadow of what we can have with Christ in the fullness of the one chance we get with life. So we're all born into a family, David, the son of Jesse, but thus says the man raised up on high. And the person that God raises up is the person that God has brought down first because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as Charles Spurgeon, this is my only Charles Spurgeon quote, I use it about once every two years. He said this about the kingdom of God. We all come to a low ceiling, that everyone comes, that the equality of the gospel is that we all bow the knee and we all humble ourselves to be saved. And to watch people get saved is interesting because you can be a prideful man for years and years or a prideful woman, but when the Spirit's really working, you see it just, like, it's like, it's like you're breaking down, breaking down, and all of a sudden, like, you bow the knee. And suddenly, like, people who say, praise the Lord, they don't bother you. You're actually like, yeah, praise the Lord. 
People raising their hands at a harvest crusade three years ago. You're like, oh, look at these people. Oh, I hope they live in a different neighborhood. And then three years later, you're like, yes. Who's this guy, Phil Wickham? Like, that's when you've been humbled. See, the man who God raised up for great things and the woman God raised up for great things must first be humbled. And after we're humbled to even be saved in the first place, to come through the low ceiling and the narrow gate, we must maintain that. Because we see throughout the Bible and church history and our own lives will teach us when we become prideful, that will take away the anointing. That will take away the power of the Lord in our life. It is much better to be a struggling, broken, humble person with the Lord, trying to figure things out, feeling clueless, than to be someone who's full of themselves, filled with pride, and has it all figured out in God's name. That latter one is... Well, Jesus told the prayer, right? In the Gospel of Luke, he said, he told the story where the one person goes, oh, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And he's beating his chest like, I'm the biggest loser. I'm the tax collector. God, have mercy on me. And the other person walks like, oh, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this loser over here. And I do this and I tithe and I do all that. And Jesus said, that one went away talking to himself. The first one went away justified. That's from the Gospel of Luke with Jesus. So when we think about being raised up. We want to be raised up. And humility and brokenness precede being raised up. And we, re- we prepare ourselves to be raised up. We ready ourselves by seeking humility. I shared with Sam pretty much every month when I set my goals for a month, I'll write down like, what's the word for August or July? And it, for August, it became real. To me, I just thought, well, humility, holiness, and healing. You know, because I've had the physical infirmities. Those are three words. So I look at my goals every day. Like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm praying I'll be humble. I'm, I'm praying I'll be holy. And I'm, I'm praying I'll be healed, you know. And I'm, I'm believing you for these things. And I'm trusting you for these things. And where there is humility, holiness will follow. And there can be healing. Not always, but in some cases. So just because we're sick doesn't mean we're not humble. But you can be sick because you're not humble. That's why when you're sick, you're like, well, Lord, which is it? Because either way, you're like, hey, let's get this right because this is no fun. So let's get this right. Unfortunately, some people always associate sickness with sin, and that's not true at all whatsoever. The greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Elisha, could raise people from the dead. And then, you know, how the last verse about Elisha in the Bible is he got sick and he died. So... I want to believe God for your good health. I want to believe God for my good health. But more importantly, I want to believe, look at the man in the mirror for humility, and I want to believe God for holiness in my life. And we can that agree, say what? Yes and amen, for sure. So we want to be raised up. We want God to do profound things in our life. I think it's reasonable to ask of the Lord to raise us up more in 2022, part three, the third, quarter, the third period of the year, we're coming up on it, than the first couple thirds of the year. I would want to be raised up more in 2023 when I set my goals for this year at the church. I, I set very ambitious goals for how we grow spiritually, how we grow physically, uh, numerically, how we grow financially. And we are doing really well in um, a few of those categories for sure. And I've also told myself, believe in God for what he can do. See, I've said this many times in the last few years. We want to believe God for great things. And if he chooses to do them or not, that's his choice because he's God of the universe, but I don't want to small mind God. Are you with me on that one? Like, I don't want to small mind God because without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
So I want to wake up as a woman of faith, a man of faith, with great expectations and to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And whatever he chooses to do, that's his business. I once planned an outreach. We thought we had 800 people there. We, had, we rented 800 chairs. And like not even 60 people came. And the 60 people were all people from the church with badges that said, I'm here to serve you. And they're all looking at me like, what happened? I'm like, I don't even want to know, but I want to crawl in a hall. And I remember going home that night saying, Lord, I outbigged you on this one. And the Lord, like, the Lord let me kind of have my little thing there. But eventually he just showed me that it was a great thing. It was a great work. It's what he wanted to do. I believed him. I went to all these high schools with Daryl Green from the Redskins, DJ Dozier from Penn State, national champion running back, NFL. Went to all these schools. We did this event. We had good DJs. Nobody came. But I did believe people would come. And it took me years to kind of think that one through. And one time I was talking to Bob Coy, and he talked about planning a big outreach in Florida early on when he went to Fort Lauderdale, and he rented the theater, he had the, and nobody came. So we have to ask ourselves, if nobody comes, does that mean the Lord's not in it? He hasn't raised you up, he's not doing this work? Or does it just mean like he's just doing something, you and him? I asked Bob Coy, what'd you do? And he goes, I just did it like Jesus was there. I was like, oh, I did it like I went on strike. <laughs> you know, like I just want to go home and cry. <laughs> But that's the way it goes. So we, the vision on a new year, the vision on the, third, the final third of this year is, is to be raised up and see greater things. I want to see greater things. I want God to raise me up. We're not in retraction. We keep talking about this the last few years. We're not in retraction. We're in expansion. And we're not in expansion in competition with the world expanding or whatever the world's doing. We're in expansion because Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and he hasn't come back yet. We're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors of Christ. And there's work to be done. That's why we're saying, raise us up like David. David, the son of Jesse, the man God raised up. So I want you to put tonight, if you're in Jesus, I want to put your name in that text. And you can take the first one and say, you so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so, or the son of so-and-so. But really put the, the real, this first point is raised up. But put yourself where, that says the person raised up on high. Let God raise us up. Let God raise us up and empower us. And if he's going to raise us up, there's going to be humility, there's going to be brokenness, and there's going to be faithfulness in the little things. Because if we're faithful in the little things, that's when he can raise us up for things that are uh, to be entrusted more. Let God raise us up. We also see, this is all in verse uh, 1, we also see, so it's David is who he is. He's a son of a man, son of, you know, a man or woman son of Jesse, but raised up on high by the Lord. So we want God to raise us up. That's, that's the new man. That's the new woman in Christ because the, the earthly man is not raised up that way. And they're just raised up like, and if they're not born again, what are they raised up for? It's all temporal. So we want to be raised up for eternity. So the man and the woman raised up by the Lord. And then the anointed of the God of Jacob. Wow, what a title. The anointed of the God of Jacob. Like the God of Jacob is the God of the universe. There is only, there's no God but our God and our God is a rock. And everything in his universe in a trillion galaxies that we can see in the micro world that we can't see centers around Jesus Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's everything. Everything's made by Christ and for Christ. So the anointing, the anointed of God is a human being, a man or woman born again of the Lord who has an anointing of the Lord upon their life like David. It's like Samuel pouring the anointing oil on David as a teenager. That's a clear anointing. It's like Aaron in the Old Testament before that, the priest, when he was anointed to be the high priest. Same type of thing. 
For us, we know the New Testament talks about us that we have an anointing from the Lord. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to the church. He'd be our helper, our paracletos. He's by our side. He comes into us. He leads and guides us in all truth, confirms the word of God as being the word of God, makes it living and powerful. He's made us alive. We pass from death to life. And we have an anointing. We have an anointing and the ability to read God's word and understand it properly. It's alive. It's not just ink on paper. We hear it and it pierces our bone, soul, marrow, and spirit. We read it. It does the same thing. Or as Paul said to Thessalonians, it works effectively in us who believe. That's what it does. So we have the anointing of the spirit. We have the anointing of the word. But we really have the anointing for our life. That we're empowered which really brings us to the Holy Spirit. Now, my point is not to do a full study on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, but I will say, with the Holy Spirit, we're told to be filled with the Spirit in the New Testament. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.